Welcome, listeners. Thank you in advance for your time listening to this broadcast. This is a Boiler Room special interview. I'll be talking to Andrew Medved and Cassie Yoder. They are the children of a man named John Medved. John has sadly passed away recently, and his family and his doctors believe that his death may have been a result of his having been among the recipients of the Johnson & Johnson COVID shot. Please share John's story to increase awareness and support medical freedom and informed consent. Thank you. The views, analysis, and opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect the views of the host, the radio network, the broadcast platform, or any featured advertisers. The purpose of this show is to inform, entertain, and encourage critical debate on social, political, cultural, and technological issues that already exist in the public domain. Thank you, and enjoy the program. This program is brought to you in part by Extant Labs, American-made lubricant and cleaning technologies designed for shooters and outdoorsmen. Find them at Amazon or visit them on the web at extantlabs.com. That's E-X-T-A-N-T labs.com. Listening to, listening the boiler to room the boiler room at ACR. Enjoy the show. Enjoy the show. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Boiler Room. I'm your host. My call sign is Hesher over here, and uh, we're broadcasting out of AlternateCurrentRadio.com here in Central Texas. Uh, this is a special broadcast. This is not going to be a typical Boiler Room broadcast, so I would like to thank everybody for checking out this broadcast. This is a really important one. Spore and I believe this is a very important story, and uh, I'm going to let the people that have been most affected by this story tell the story in its entirety here. But, uh, and I have not heard this story in its entirety. Uh, I have on the line with me today, waiting in the green room, two people who have just experienced something really difficult um, that seems to be related to the Johnson & Johnson COVID shot. Yes, I said COVID shot because I do not believe that these things are vaccines. That is a rabbit hole that we get into here on the Boiler Room quite often. So if you're new to this broadcast, please subscribe to the podcast format so that you'll get the weekly episodes because uh, this is not something that can be covered in one hour or two hour 
you know, these rabbit holes of what are these shots? What can we expect from them? What is going to change in our world? How are, are, how are we going to deal with the health implications of this? What are the ramifications of it? Why is it being pushed with such a monolithic propaganda behind it? Why are people being silenced for simply telling their story? I think these are really important questions, and I think one of the best things that we can do is to continue telling these stories because something is happening. Something is happening right now, and a lot of people seem to be having adverse effects to these COVID shots. Now, of course, there's multiple flavors of these, but every single one of them has entries in the VAERS database. We'll talk a little bit more about what that is, but I would like to be here to facilitate the telling of a story. So I'm going to tell you what I have learned about this particular incident and this man before I hand it over to his family. And um, I would like to thank Ms. D and Spore for helping set this up. Uh, these are friends of friends right here that we're speaking with. So I'm just going to tell the story as, as I understand it. Um, we're going to be talking with Cassie and Andrew in a moment here when we open the green room up. And they can correct me if I have anything wrong here. But uh, on April 1st, their dad received the Johnson & Johnson COVID shot. Twelve days later, he went to the ER with extreme shortness of breath. Scan showed a pulmonary embolism. The next day, he was intubated into an induced coma. And as it turns out, uh, he had a stroke that they did not see right away. And the family thought he'd wake up on day seven as planned. And when they weaned him off his sedatives, there was no signs of him waking up. And at that point, I believe they discovered via a CT scan that he'd had a stroke, which was pinpointed to the time of the intubation. A massive stroke. On Thursday, the 22nd of April, 2021, their father passed away, and he was 58 years old. So uh, I would like to introduce um, both Cassie and Andrew. Uh, welcome to the boiler room, Cassie. I understand you're a nurse by trade. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm a registered nurse. Okay. Well, first of all, and, and welcome, Andrew, also. It's great to have you with us. Thank you for joining Yes, thank you. I know this is probably not how you would like to be spending some of your grieving time. Um, you know, my wife and I, we, we we're close to this kind of thing, too. I'll just start by relating to you guys a little bit here. Um, we lost her father in 2018, and uh, he had a... Uh, Believe it or not, there's a vaccine for pneumonia. And he took that. He was given that. And uh, 
then passed away from pneumonia not too long afterward. And, um, you know, our family members on that side, they wouldn't even hear it. You know, like we would just ask the question and nobody would even entertain the idea that maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know if it did. I don't know if it didn't. I can't say he was the pinnacle of health when that happened. There were other things going on. But, um, you know, this one hits home for us because uh, Spore, uh, much like your family, there's, uh, there's four siblings there. And uh, I just, um, I don't know. I'm going to turn it over to you guys. I want to hear your story. And I just wanted to kind of, you know, let you know that, that we have felt similar things. But this, what you guys are experiencing, in my opinion, <clears throat> not to put these kind of things on scales, but it is so much worse because what is going on here is there's this extra factor, this COVID shot. So, um, I guess Cassie, I'll, I'll I'll leave it to you to to kick us off and kind of give us the story and the timeline here. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah, it's really difficult, like you said, because of the COVID shot. Like my dad's exact words to my sister were, um, "He was going to take the shot because he wanted to live." Um, and so, just like I just hear those words like ringing over and over in my head, and um, and I want to be a voice of justice, but. Like I told you before, I'm just like struggling with the grieving process and the timeline and how to navigate this all because um, it's so painful and just knowing, like, I just want to forget the reason why he died. You know, I just want, I don't even want to think about that, but I know that I can't do that because I, I want other people to know. I want them to have informed consent. I want them to have the information that is being censored. And um, so, yeah, this is really important to us. And so the story is pretty much, yeah. Um, my dad went into the ER on the 14th. So he had his J and J on the first, he went into the ER on the 14th with shortness of breath and he has COPD. So he has, you know, had some breathing issues and he called his brother and was like, I'll be out tomorrow. I'll see you tomorrow. You know, he's sitting in the ER. They admitted him to med surge. Um, and then his shortness of breath and difficulty breathing just, um, continued to persist. And so they had, brought him over to ICU so he could be on the BiPAP. Um, one of the nurses said, she kind of gave me the rundown um, that, you know, he just, something wasn't right. Like we just couldn't pinpoint it. We knew that this was more than the COP, COPD exasperation. So they did a CT scan, found the, a small pul pulmonary embolism. So um, they had put him on some blood thinners and it he was when he, the day that he uh, was um, admitted to ICU was the same day that he was intubated. She said he was doing okay on the BiPAP. You know, he got into bed by himself. I had asked him if he wanted me to call family because we didn't have anybody on file. And he's like, Oh no, you have my brother Joe's number. I'll be fine. Um, and then she said, and then all of a sudden he just went into respiratory failure and she said it was a complete mystery. Um, they couldn't figure it out. And that's when he was intubated and, um, put on the ventilator. And so um, I arrived on Friday and my brother or my uncle Joe had been there. And so I was hoping that I'd be able to get in, but my family all went up there with me just to be close because we didn't know what was going to happen. And uh, they did have a meeting and they allowed me to switch places with Joe because of COVID or whatever. So thankfully I was there from Friday until the day he passed on Thursday, the 22nd. Um, 
So um, he went into respiratory failure. They didn't know why at that time. And then I believe it was like on the 20th, Monday, that they did a CT scan that showed the stroke. And everybody was completely surprised. No one, you know, suspected that. And we still were expecting him to wake up. Um, you know, every day we would try to take him off sedation. There was a few days where the doctor was like, we're just going to let him rest. His lungs just need some more rest. And so every day I just sat there, you know, with the anticipation and expectation of him waking up when they remove the sedation. And they're like, oh, don't be discouraged. You know, sometimes the OPDRs are a little bit harder to get off the vent. Everything will be fine. And uh, the doctor had talked to me about, you know, when he did come to, you know, he may need some rehab because he might have some deficits from the stroke. Um, and so I'm already planning like, okay, you know, calling my husband, like dad might be moving in with us. I might be taking care of him. Like I actually put my notice in at my job. I was like all in, like I'm going to take care of my dad. And uh, they had him off sedation for 24 hours. And of course he didn't wake up. And so that night that they had him off sedation, they pulled a cot in for me and I was able to sleep there because I wanted to be there when he woke up and he did not wake up. And the next day that's when they did the MRI. Um, so during all this, uh, the doctors, you know, I was, I was there from seven 30 in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. And then the night that he was off sedation, I was there the whole time. So I was having these conversations with the doctors. I was having the conversations with the nurses. I knew exactly what was going on. And the first doctor that discovered the PE, he wrote up a VAERS report um, for the pulmonary embolism. And that is, this was during the time that the J&J was actually paused. And so he had sent in um, the VAERS. At first, he kind of dismissed it. But then he started to see the correlation. And so he sent that in. And then the second doctor who discovered the stroke sent a VAERS in for the stroke. There has not been an updated VAERS yet for his death. Um, so I need to follow up with that. But um, during the time that we had to extubate him, um, we had to make the hard decision, you know, of course, whether we were going to keep him on life support or not. Um, the doctor was in there with us while that all happened. And I went up to the doctor. Uh, we were asking him questions about the vaccine. And he said, if this was my father, I'd be concerned that it was the vaccine as well. Um, so all the doctors were seeing the correlation. All the nurses that I had conversations with were seeing the correlation. Of course, he has underlying health conditions. So it seems like it's just swept under the rug, like it's completely dismissed. And that's really difficult too because it's like that's who I mean the majority of people that are getting this vaccine are have underlying health conditions and um, that's why they're getting it um, and then uh, they had put COPD on the death certificate and when I found that out I was just irate like I couldn't even believe that so I called um, the following day and talked to his primary care provider and he said that it was an on-call doctor that put the C or put COPD on the death certificate, and that that was a mistake. He said COPD was not um, did not contribute to his death whatsoever, and so he did change that to a CVA, which is a stroke and a pulmonary embolism. And I he was the one that gave my dad permission to get the vaccine, so I started asking him questions like, "Why are you giving the vaccine to people that already have COVID?" And he's like, "Well, that's the." That's the CDC recommendation right now. If you recover from COVID, you can get the vaccine. 
Um, and so that's really a whole nother rabbit hole as well as why are people that already recovered from COVID getting this vaccine when they have natural immunity? Um, and then I talked to him about the vaccine and he said, absolutely. Um, I am in the same boat. He didn't say absolutely. He said, I'm in the same boat as you believing that this is related to the J and J vaccine. He said, there's definitely some clotting issues going on there. And so that's kind of the story um, in a nutshell as far as the timeline and how it kind of went down. Um, the doctor that did after the MRI results came back, he reviewed them with us and he said that in 13 years of being a doctor, it's one of the biggest strokes that he's ever seen. Wow. Um, so there's just all those pieces that are like, you know, it's it's too much to be a coincidence. Um, and, you know, just reading other people's stories, that's what I'm finding is that they're just saying, oh, this is a coincidence. This is just a coincidence. And I was on VAERS today. I'm not super familiar with VAERS, but I've been on there. I mean, I could spend hours on there just on the COVID vaccine. And, you know, what I found was that J&J, I looked up just cere cerebrovascular accident. That's the only one that I looked up. Um and J&J &J had 110 reported. Moderna had 265 reported. And Pfizer had 243 reported. Wow. Well, you know, the thing that really freaks me out is I keep hearing about people that are trying to get their information in there. And I'm seeing reports that the system, I don't know if this is true or not, but I've seen them say that systems overwhelmed and they, they have to process all these things and it's taking forever but uh, there's a, a lot of people out there that seem to be getting the impression that the VAERS database is uh is not being utilized in the way that it should and that um even the scary numbers that we're seeing in there that you just referenced might be vastly smaller than what the reality of the situation is what's what's your uh, intuition or experience telling you in that department. So, absolutely. Like um, what I've been reading is that it's 10% or less of reports that are actually reported. And it, I know for a fact that if I wasn't there with my dad, while this happened, that it would not have been reported. Um, you know, the doctors kind of like did that glance at me, like, what are you talking about? Almost. Um, it was their first, uh, I know it was the first, the first doctor I know is his only VAERS report that he's ever made. Um, and so if I wouldn't have been bringing this up because I was bringing it up, like, how is this correlated? And they started to talk to me about it. And um, I don't believe that if I wasn't there that it would have been reported. And so even with, they gave me temporary VAR numbers, I did find um, dad's pulmonary embolism on the VAR report, but I have not found his stroke. I have the number for it, but I can't find it. So that's something that I need to follow up with. Um, and then also, you know, I emailed theirs, I called them and their message was kind of like, well, because we are so, um, overwhelmed at this time, it may take longer for us to get back to you than normal. So, I mean, that alone kind of tells you that, you know, there's definitely phone calls and definitely emails going in that they can't respond to fast enough. Um, some of the, the reports I was reading, um, 
you know, was kind of some some people reported them their reactions themselves. And they're saying, like, why don't you guys have a hotline that we can call when we're having these symptoms? Like, you know, there's people are just left in the dark. Like, here's the vaccine and, you know, send them on their way. And they're having the one the one guy that I read, like he had tennis ball sized lymph nodes under his his armpits. And he's like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't like I'm scared, you know, and um so people are requesting that there'd be more education and more information. And unfortunately, as a nurse, I know for a fact that like I wasn't taught about vaccine adverse event reporting in, in school. And I never read clinical trials before I gave the vaccine. Now I would consider that, you know, neglect on on my part, because how can I administer something that I honestly don't know anything about? Like, oh, you might have a sore arm and a fever, take some Tylenol. Like, it's just ridiculous. What about you, Andrew? Why don't you jump in here and tell me if you have anything you want to throw at this, uh, at the timeline or anything that we've discussed so far. Well, on on the 14th, when he, when he admitted himself into the ER, um, I was actually one of the last persons to have talked to him. Yeah. I gave him a call kind of randomly. Um, I was actually trying to get a hold of my mother, and she didn't pick up. So I was like, oh, I'll call my dad and see how he's doing. Um, at that point, they had just had him on oxygen. He, he was talking to me just fine. Um, he was breathing for the most part all right, and he was on oxygen. Um, I even made a joke about him having to take an oxygen tank home with him, and he said they better not. I mean, uh, the whole time that he was in the hospital. Um, Cassie was there just giving us updates through texts and phone calls. And up until they took the MRI, all the updates were hopeful. The doctors thought he was going to wake up. The doctors said that he was improving, that his lungs were getting better. And then he didn't. And it was, yeah, I'm, I'm actually sitting in his living room right now and, one of the hardest things I've had to do. Oh, I can I can't even imagine, Andrew. I really can't. And uh, it's a really hard story to hear. It's a really hard story to tell. And you know, we just, gosh, you know, people get. I don't understand this, Andrew. People they're they're now trying to lightly demonize people for being hesitant. You know, hesitant is sort of the buzzword. It's like if they want to shame you, they'll call you anti-vax. Um, right. But right now, the, the soft language, the soft propaganda language from my assessment seems to be, well, there's a lot of people that are hesitant and we don't we can't have that because for some reason in 2021, at this point in human evolution or creation, wherever you fall on that, um, we don't have natural immunity anymore. Like natural immunity only comes at the end of a needle containing some sort of you know, strange juices inside of it, you know, containing some really, you know, compounds that are experimental compounds that don't have long-term results on them and compounds that are, I think very clearly injuring people and causing mortality. So, I mean, it's gotta be really frustrating to be in your position sitting there in your dad's chair in his room and and feeling like people that hear this will immediately 
be skeptical or angry at you for sharing it. And I just think that is so wrong. I mean, that that's what this whole country was supposedly based on, right? Like <laughs> informed consent, freedom, medical freedom, religious freedom, freedom of speech. You know, we could go through the whole thing, but we don't need to. I think we know what the current state of it is, but I just, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on this whole, like, shaming everybody for being hesitant when when we're we now know people in our immediate lives for you and your immediate family who have been affected in in the worst ways it just seems so wrong to me to to uh put people on the the shame spotlight for being hesitant when we can see what's going on around us it is i i i believe it's ridiculous um you know, they, I've I've heard people saying that um, the people that are deciding not to get vaccinated are the reason that America is not going to go back to normal. Like, it's going to be our fault that the vaccine keeps spreading. But then you hear Michelle Obama doing an ad on Pandora telling everybody how safe this vaccine is. Well, if it's so safe, then why is this happening to people? And why do you have to sign a waiver when you get the vaccine saying that you won't cause any problems if you get sick or die like they don't know what their this vaccine is doing to people i mean we're we're science experiments that's why you have to sign a piece of paper saying you won't sue anybody like they don't know the long-term effects of this they don't even know the short-term effects of this they're just pumping it into people's bodies and i just saw a samuel adams beer commercial about getting the vaccine I mean, it's it's just crazy how they're pushing this on people so hard, and they don't know nothing about it. The doctors don't, they haven't done no vaccine research or anything. I mean, this vaccine just came out, and to even call it a vaccine upsets me, because they even tell you that it doesn't give you immunity. It's basically a booster shot, yeah. and it's just, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's really it's, hard to think about and... Yeah, yeah, it really is, man. I, I've been having a hard time with that before I started having hearing stories like this that were within, you know, one degree of my circle of friends and families and listeners. So, you know, it's it's just insane. And, and the other night on the show, I played um, the gentleman went in and actually read the uh, the consent form. And I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it's like it says basically anything can happen to you. This is an experiment. We have no long term results. Uh, you could have any number of symptoms, adverse reactions or mortality from it. So I just don't understand what is with. Well, I mean, I think I do understand what's behind it. But I mean, that's probably a conversation for another time. I'm sure you guys are having this conversation offline. But it just seems so wrong and and sick and inhumane to me to cuz you know the the other factor here is the covid factor everybody has been bombarded for the last 15 months with nothing but fear porn out of the the mass media cartel and everybody's scared you know the people I shouldn't say everybody but a vast majority of people on this planet are scared and believe what the CDC says wholeheartedly. And I'm afraid, Andrew, that 
many, many people that go and get the COVID shot and have, sign that waiver don't even read it. No. Because before they got the vaccine, they already decided that they were going to get it. And then you hear your government telling you how safe it is and that you need to get it so our world can go back to normal. So you just go in there and you sign the piece of paper so you can go about your day. Right. Like, the, you know, I, you, most hospitals, you got to sign a consent form to even get seen. So, I mean, it's not, it's not on, I mean, you know, you, you should do your research before you do anything like that, but it's not on them people that got the vaccine and that are getting sick or dying. Like they had trusted their healthcare system. They trusted their government and the government has failed them. Oh yeah. This is, this is like extortion in my view to, to tell, especially, I mean, I don't know how old you guys are. I get the feeling we might be in sort of similar age range. I'm about 45. And, um, I feel like our parents are one of the, the main targets. I feel like they are, are one of the, the most, the, the biggest target audience of this propaganda because, you know, our parents, they they don't want to not be able to see us. They don't want to not be able to see their grandkids, you know? And and they're being served up this propaganda that says, well, if you don't take this experimental shot, then you're never going to go back to normal. And, and to say that to a grandparent, you know, about specifically their own children and grandchildren, I, I can't even imagine. Like, I'm... I'm horrified that this is happening to all of us, young, middle-aged, and old. But I really feel like the the predation has fallen heavily, heavily on um, our our senior citizens and those approaching senior senior citizendom, and uh, it just seems so messed up to me. It feels like media extortion, right? And now they're saying that the fatalities from the vaccines are for the greater good, which is just so sickening to me um, to even use those words. It's almost like they're trying to brainwash us into thinking that, you know, by taking this vaccine and by an injured, you're some kind of hero for the greater good. When we're in reality, they're the victim of, of evil, really. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's like they, <clears throat> I don't know. I'm, I'm having a really hard time with that too, Cassie, because, you know, I, I'm, I have a lot of colleagues in what I do here and we share a lot of links around. And, and last night, the links that we're sharing around were the virtue signalers, the COVID shot virtue signalers, people doing TikTok dances and, um, you know, singing songs like Weird Al Yankovic style, like spoof songs about, you know, how, how their team Pfizer or whatever, or team Johnson and Johnson, actually nobody's singing about Johnson and Johnson for the last couple of weeks, but Pfizer and Moderna, they're still getting, you know what I mean? It's like, there is just, it, I can't even imagine being in you guys' situation and having to, you know, open social media and seeing those people out there, not only do you have Samuel Adams, by the way, Andrew, I spoke with one of my colleagues about that on air the other night. We were disgusted. Um, you've got Michelle Obama. You've got every pundit in the mass media cartel, regardless of what their uh, political identity is. And then you've got all the Hollywood stars. 
and the uh, pop stars like J-Lo and uh, Dave Grohl and dude from, I don't know, STP or something like these people are putting on concerts, trying to convince all their fans to get vaxxed and saying that they won't be able to go see live music until everybody's vaxxed. I mean, it is has just got to be so painful every time you see one of these and you think about the people that are easily influenced by this sort of propaganda. I mean, I don't even know how I would deal with that. I'd be so angry if I were you. Yeah, it's frustrating. I, I know that I follow like some DIYers on Instagram and um, even some of them have shared um, like screenshots of, you know, companies reaching out to them and asking them to, uh, promote the vaccine and like the, some of the wording was like make sure that you're happy and excited and that you're you know acting like you're happy and excited about getting the vaccine and how you can't wait and you know they're paying them like $1,300 for a post and it's just it's it's just crazy it's just and and what's even more crazy is that you know people aren't seeing through this and um, it's like how can you, you know, reach these people? I don't, I don't even know. I'm, I'm concerned about the youth, you know, as far as like the pop stars and, and the rock stars and um, all these influencers that are, you know, um, speaking to the youth that are really, you know, they're not watching the news, but they're watching these people. And, you know, they're so greatly influenced right now in this stage that they're at. And now, you know, the vaccine, now you can get the vaccine if you're 16 years old and, and it's going to be lower soon, I'm sure. And it's just really scary. It really is. And the other one that has really affected myself and Spore and a lot of members of our audience is um, we're now seeing these, these reports of uh, even doctors and, and other parents who are signing their, all the way down to 18 months old. We, we talked about a story of a doctor who um, signed his 18-month-old baby up for for the shot, you know, and was touting it, talking about how great it's going to be and it's safe for babies and all that stuff. But I just, I can't even believe this. I can't even believe that people are submitting, you know, so we're talking basically from, that was the youngest I'd heard. That was a relatively new one. So we're looking at from 18 months to 12 years old now. Um, you know, parents signing kids up in those age ranges to be part of the experiment. I would say get the shot, but I'm going to say be part of the experiment. I mean, that is is horrifying to a lot of our audience. I've heard a lot of people really upset about this. Yeah, that's really sad. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't imagine making my child get that shot and then having something happen. Oh my gosh, I know. And then to to have the mass media cartel tell us that, oh, well, you know, this is their heroes, basically. You know, that's that's how they want us to just, you know, let all this roll off our backs. And um, I, I do not see heroism in subjecting one's child to a, a gene therapy experiment. I don't know, maybe I'm weird. I definitely agree with that. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, especially for, you know, uh, there's so many questions with COVID still, but I think, you know, now we're, that we're what, 15, 16 months in, I think it's pretty clear uh, who the, 
who the um the vulnerable people are for that and it just seems to me so sick that we're going to rush into experimenting on kids because the uh the the there's there's like zero it's almost uh it's next to zero percent chance uh of a, a child you know dying of covid uh or even contracting it i mean it's it's crazy of course the pcr test another rabbit hole contracting it cases numbers i know <laughs> but it, it's just um it seems to me just anti-human i don't know i don't know how else to say it it just seems like uh demonic almost to you know make the population so scared of something that has such a low mortality rate and then tell them you know that we we all have to take this and you guys aren't alone uh we've got family members that have taken uh this this stuff we have a good friend that was that took the j and j shot the day that they shut it down (laughs) got home and then discovered that it was paused um, so there's some really touchy like situations, I think, and I don't know, uh, Cassie, what do you think? Like, I think at this point we're, we're getting to the point where most people are going to know someone who's been affected by this in some way. And I just, I don't know. I don't know anyone that died from COVID. I know of a couple people, um, secondhand who, you know, were marked as COVID deaths, but they were, you know, 70 plus years old and had multiple comorbidities and stuff um, and were put on ventilators uh, when they might not have been, you know, a year before. So it just seems so strange to me that we're being shamed and propagandized into just accepting this. Right. Yeah. After being you know, a full year into it and knowing, of course, when it first arrived, like we didn't know anything about it. Yeah, there's, you know, some fear there. We didn't know how to treat it. We didn't know, you know, um, anything about it. Um, And so now it's, you know, the doctors know how to treat it better. You know, there's different medications that can be used. Um, And so, But instead of promoting those things um, or even promoting a healthy lifestyle, um, we're promoting, you know, the things that are killing people. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. And there's just no logic. And, I mean, that's clear with this whole COVID thing is that if you take a good look at any portion of, you know, any detail of COVID, there's no logic. And, you know, you go... I was laughing the other day. We went through a drive-through, and um, they handed me the food in a. They put my money in the bucket, handed me the bucket. I took the money out of the bucket, and then they took the bucket back. <laughs> and I'm just like, how? Like, what is happening here? Like, did the lack of oxygen from the long-term mask wearing like cause some brain damage or <laughs> I'm afraid so <laughs> I'm just <laughs> trying to figure this out like how how this is actually happening like it's almost like I feel like I'm in the twilight zone and um you know and now this is now the vaccine thing has hit you know so close to home that um you know you never think that it's going to happen to you you know you just you don't you never think that yeah. and you don't think that way and um think oh dad's going to be okay you know like there's other, there's other people that are okay, and uh, he's going to be okay. 
you know, and that's his choice. And, um, but that's the scary, the numbers are scary and the percentages are really high and, um, something needs to be done. (laughs) Something needs to be done about it. And unfortunately everything seems to be stopping us from getting the word out and, you know, sharing this information, which is even scarier, um, why are the people that are supposed to be for us and protecting us? Um, why did they not know this information, whether it's healthcare providers or nurses, or why aren't we educated as, you know, healthcare providers um, to read the clinical trials, to know, to know about VAERS, to know these things so that we can properly educate the people that are coming in and, you know, doing this because they want to live, doing this because they want to protect others, when in reality... You know, we're finding even now that, you know, the vaccine can possibly shed and all these, all this information that's coming out is just like you both said, is like we're, we are the lab rats, we are the science experiment and uh, we are the clinical trial and. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Cassie, Um, since we're on the topic of the COVID factor, the, the new abnormal, I've heard from many people that the policies and procedures in the hospital have changed so much in response to COVID that like, for example, in many cases, um, a ventilator will be used in a situation where just over a year ago, a different approach would have been taken. Um, is this as a nurse, is this something you can confirm? And do you think that the COVID protocols in place or the use of a ventilator, you know, uh, may have changed the possible outcomes for your dad if, if we weren't living in the the new policies and procedures in the in the medical area um for my dad no i mean i don't believe that because i believe that he went the the stroke was so severe that he um went into respiratory failure um when initially they thought that it was because of copd exasperation or and um with the blood clot in his lung um so i don't think that that would have changed his outcome at all okay uh, the damage, you know, was already done. Right. And as far as like the protocols for the hospital, I actually work in chemical dependency. And so I'm not familiar with um, hospital policies. Okay, cool. Well, I appreciate that. Um, Cause I, kn- I know someone out there is, is wondering that or going to be asking themselves that. And um, can, is there, is there anything else you want to say about the topic of the death certificate and the way that you know, originally it had COPD on there. Um, and I ask that because I'm curious, like, you know, a lot of people <clears throat> go through a tragedy like this and um, we're just paralyzed. You know what I mean? We can't, it's, it's difficult to tie your shoes and brush your teeth and, you know, remember to <laughs> do those day-to-day things, much less, you know, take on something like you guys are. Um, so I'm just curious if, you think that uh, this is happening a lot where somebody has death in the family and the person's family is unable to think about it or of the mindset where they don't consider it. Um, Do you think there's probably a lot of death certificates that may be incorrectly labeled right now that, um, you know, families might want to go back and and relook at the timeline and the medical reports? Absolutely. So like after this experience, you know, I would have never thought that. Um, And 
Like I didn't realize that the primary care provider is the one that fills out the death certificate. So that means that it's just, you know, they must be somehow getting notification that their patient passed away. And then I don't know how much research they're doing or how much, you know, conversation they're having with, you know, the hospital doctors that are taking care of, you know, the patients. But this specific doctor um, just probably read his diagnosis list or the reason why he was admitted to the hospital and then didn't look any further. So it really makes me question and question all the death certificates. I mean, if there's no verification process, how do we know what's true? And, you know, we've heard with COVID, of course, that, you know, the death certificates that are coming forth that have COVID on it, you know, are a lot of them are incorrect. Um, and so now this is kind of just verification or confirmation to me that, yeah, that's probably true. Like, there's no verification process. Um, how do we know, you know, what's true and what's not true as far as statistics in regarding anything? Yeah. I've had uh, more than one listener tell me that they had someone close to them marked as a COVID death and they had to fight it like tooth and nail <laughs> to get it. Uh, and I'm not even sure if any of them got what it should be or that it should be a, you know, a VAERS incident or what. But I know for a fact that uh, a number of our audience have had lost elderly family members and uh, have it have had it marked down as COVID and not accepted it. And I know that a couple of them have been in protracted <laughs> back and forths with doctors and hospitals trying to get that fixed because they don't want their loved ones to become a statistic in the COVID propaganda, you know, and what whatever that, that there's a gray area there, what's propaganda and what's not, obviously, probably another topic for another time. But you know, for a lot of people out there, it's that don't think that everything is on the up and up. This is has been an important fight for them. So, um, yeah, I don't know uh, if you guys have any words of encouragement for anyone else out there that this might this story might be hitting home for. Um, definitely feel free to share that with the audience. Andrew, do you have anything? Um. <laughs> I don't know about so much as words of encouragement, I guess, but um, just I, I want people to do their research. I want people to pay attention to what they're signing and what they're doing, and because this this affects the entire country. This isn't this isn't just our family that this has happened to. This is happening all over, and like the death certificate thing. Um, if we want to have been in the state of mind to challenge that, his death certificate would still say COPD, and it would be a lie. Um, I just, yeah, um, yeah, I just want, you know, think for yourselves. Don't, uh, just because somebody tells you it's true because your government or your favorite singer or movie actor tells you something is true doesn't mean it is, and they might not even know the truth either. They could be getting this i mean they're getting the same propaganda we are so right i mean yeah and as your sister pointed out some of them are being paid handsome amounts for it you can dang well bet that j-lo and uh the foo fighters were on a big fat contract for for their propaganda push and you know cassie you right. mentioned um 
people on Instagram, and this is something that I've kind of been following for quite a while. I've I've uh, decided that it's important to remind the audience oftentimes that we now live in a world that is um, where advertising is largely done through people that are now called influencers and ambassadors. And um, I think a lot of people uh, get taken away, get, get you know, let their, their, uh, their aesthetics take them away with some of these influencers and ambassadors and don't even ever realize that many of these influencers and ambassadors can make anywhere from $500 for making a post that says something specific with a specific image all the way up to $5,000 or more. And a lot of the people that we're seeing on Instagram doing this stuff are actually being paid to do it, which makes them no different than the mass media cartel. It actually just makes them a servant of the mass media cartel. Right. Yeah. And the thing with the influencers, you know, you follow their lives. Um, a lot of them, you know, you follow their lives, their family, their hobbies, and like you begin to trust them. And, um, and so it's so easy to, you know, believe what they're telling you because you have formed some kind of, you know, um, cyber relationship as far as like gaining trust or, you know, trusting they've gained your trust because you know so much about them and their families. And yeah, that's a big factor right there. I mean, I follow a lot of these accounts too, and I enjoy them, but I, as long as you can recognize that some of the things that they post are paid, uh, promotions, you know, you'll, you'll be a way, you'll be many steps ahead of, uh, your, your average Instagram, you know, uh, feed flicker. Yeah. 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 And I just want to say, like, if anyone that's listening, you know, has experienced this themselves, whether it's, you know, um, an adverse reaction or, you know, a death of a loved one, um, I just want to, you know, um, say I'm sorry. And um, I hope that you can find peace. I know that it's not easy to grieve with this being the cause of death or because the, co the cause of, you know, your life being completely turned upside down and... Um, I just pray that, you know, um, there'll be direction and guidance and resources to help you through your journey. And also I want to say, you know, as far as like the people getting vaccinated, you know, it's not like I'm, um, hate these people or, you know, um, you know, have like resentment or bitterness towards the people that are, you know, giving the vaccines or, um, that have gotten the vaccines. Like I, I believe that they believe that they're doing the right thing. And, um, I just, I really hope that, you know, those, that changes, I hope that eyes are opened and by people's stories like ours, that eyes can be opened and that hearts can be changed and that, you know, medical professionals can, um, take a place as far as, um, saying, no, I'm not going to administer this or no, I, I, you know, I'm supposed to be an advocate for my patients and I will not you know, put them in harm's way and, and join together and actually take a stance and say no to what's happening right now. Yeah. yeah we need like a, a nurse's union or a medical union of some sort to demand that, um, this kind of thing be included in, in the medical education system, because I feel like uh, if, if there was a semester on VAERS or on vaccine injuries, 
that was honest, <laughs> it well, I feel like it would ruin the medical industry and the pharmaceutical industry and might ruin television because the pharmaceutical industry pays for all the ad spots, but maybe we should ruin those things a little bit so that we can bring them back to something that actually serves the people. Um, yeah, it's just, I, I think about, you know, um, kind, honest, you know, Christian hearted people like you in, in the, in the job. And it just feels like, man, if, if only <laughs> they would have a semester on like food and a semester on potential vaccine injuries, like even just one, it might just kind of, you know, put that little bit of doubt and hesitancy in their minds that they could apply to trying to help their patients. Because I do believe that most people in the medical industry are right-minded and, and do believe they're, they're doing everything they can to help everybody. But the way that the Rockefellers have set up the medical industry and the training for it just seems to have really failed us in this regard. I agree. All right. Well, you guys, I don't want to take up too much of your time. So, um, Cassie, do you have uh, any final words or anything else you'd like to cover before we close it down? No, I just um, want to tell you thank you for allowing us to share a story and reaching out. Well, thank you for being brave and telling your story. Um, I don't even know if, if I would be able to do that as a broadcaster if I was in your shoes. So I have much respect for you guys. And uh, Spore and myself and our audience will all be praying for, for you and for your father. Thank you. All thank right. you. Yes. Um, how about you, Andrew? Do you have any, uh, any final words you want to throw in here before we shut it down? Um, no, I'm all right. I think I got everything I wanted to say out. Okay. Great. Well, uh, again, really appreciate you guys' time and um, our condolences to you. Uh, and we're always here if you want to come on and do a follow-up or anything else. You've got my number, so feel free to reach out at any point in time. Right, thank you. All right. Excellent. Okay, everybody. Uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, shut this episode down. Uh, I want to thank Cassie and Andrew once again for joining us here in the boiler room. And uh, we will see you again for a traditional Thursday night boiler room uh, every Thursday at 8 p.m. Central Time here in Texas. So do join us for the night or the uh, weekly Thursday broadcasts. Um, we, uh, we do our best to have uh, a little bit of fun on the Thursday broadcast while we go through all of the uh, not-so-fun <laughs> current events. So, uh, you know, for those of you regular listeners out there, thank you once again for tuning in. And please, please be brave like Cassie and Andrew and share this interview as widely as you can. I... Uh, I, I never care about going viral or having a bazillion listens or anything like that. I mostly care about having a common sense audience and uh, a brave common sense audience. So be brave and share this, this interview around. And uh, I'll put any relevant links uh, where you can keep up on the story on this show page for this show. So if you do share it around, be sure and share the show page so that the reference links will be available on it. Uh, if you're new, if you're new to Boiler Room or Alternate Current Radio, uh, find us on the web, alternatecurrentradio.com, and uh, we'll see you again for another live broadcast very soon. 
Go ahead and run. Run home and cry to mama.